All right. If you ever arrive here on a Sunday morning, and Bill kind of mentioned this in his communion thoughts, and you notice that the, the worship order includes three preachers and a youth minister, just push your lunch plans back 15 minutes. You're not going to make it, move them back. Um, some years back at Northwest, we prayed that God would send us some good teachers. And he's answered that prayer, and I'm thankful for all of those who teach here and, and, and do ministry. Um, the next several weeks, uh, probably into about six weeks, we're going to be spending some time looking at the faith path plan, which is uh, for our families. It's something that we've really been doing here for several years. Sometimes we talk about it more, sometimes less, but hopefully it's always present and part of uh, what's in front of you and in the back of your mind. Um, faith path is an idea that says that, you know, when you have kids, you know what your kids' developmental stages are. Uh, you go to teachers' conferences, and they tell you how your kids are doing if they're keeping up with other students. Uh, when you first have children, you watch obsessively Okay, at three months, they're supposed to be doing this, and at six months, they're supposed to be doing that. And are, are they getting where they need to be? Um, but we don't have as many resources that are out there that give us what those spiritual benchmarks should be. And, and, it, and what Faith Path does is it tells parents, hey, these are good ages to start teaching your kids these things. These are good ages to start focusing on these areas of kind of your child's spiritual formation. Uh, but as we look at the faith path, there's some of these that we're going to be looking at, some that we're not. You know, a couple weeks ago, we did our, our parent and baby dedication, where our parents of our new babies committed to doing everything they could to raise their children in the Lord, to raise them to lifelong saving faith. And, and that's part of what we do. And part of what we do in that process is we give them a packet that says, here's how you can already be dedicating yourself and praying over your, your newborns. And when they turn three, we start recommending something called The Blessing. If you're familiar with The Blessing, it really became popular uh, following a book by John Trent and Gary Smalley uh, some years back. And it's been around for a long time, and it's been built in the faith plan. And The Blessing really looks at all of these Old Testament stories where, where fathers, especially in the Old Testament, are blessing their sons and their children. And they're declaring publicly how God's favor has shined on their children's lives. And they declare publicly, God has favored my child in this way, and I'm going to bless them publicly, which is why we have a record of all of these blessings, in a way that declares what God has done for them and in them. But it's also not just backward-looking, it's forward-looking. And the blessing seeks to explore what uh, are the specific visions that I have for my child, these hopes and dreams that I have for my child, that I'm asking God to empower them to achieve. How can I bless my child by proclaiming what God has already done and bless my child by, by proclaiming what I desire God to do in my child's life in the future? And so as we think about what that is, uh, this isn't just something for parents of three-year-olds. So if you heard me and you went, oh, I don't have a three-year-old, I can quit listening to this. Uh, you need to hear this. Because what we've learned over and over again is that blessing matters to all people. Is that everyone is starving for a word of affirmation to be proclaimed over them. We've seen this in, in, in our house over the past couple of weeks. Uh, on the third or fourth day of school, uh, Harper came home with a, 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 a book that her class had made, and it was called Harper's Queen of the Day book. 
Uh, and what happens is every day in Miss Logan's first grade class at Central Elementary uh, is that every student gets a coloring sheet and they draw a picture of one of the other students. And so Harper alphabetically was third in her class. Uh, and so she was the third student to get her book of the day. Uh, and every student draws a picture of Harper and then they write Harper is and then something uh, that, that they think of when they think of Harper. And so lots, they think she's really fast. I learned that Harper is faster than the average first grader on the third day of school this year. But she came home with this book about what all of her classmates thought about her and their encouragements and blessings that they had pronounced over her. And she showed it to everyone that came to our house for days. This is my book, it's about me. And, it, and it's celebrating that. And you think, man, kids are really like that, aren't they? So Leah was at a leadership conference for, for realtors this past couple days. Uh, and I called her and I said, hey, how's it going? Normally when I call Leah at a conference and I say, how's it going? She goes, I remember nothing we've talked about, but it was good. Uh, that's not what she said this day. I said, how'd it go? She goes, it was amazing. Well, what'd you do? She goes, we went through all morning an activity where everyone at the conference went up to the front of the room. And this is a group that's been going through this for now two years, supposed to be a one year program, but you know, last year happened. Um, so they've been going through this for two years. And, and the activity was this, is you have to go stand in the front of the class while everyone else in the room tells you what they respect about you and admire about you and think is awesome about you. And when they say it, you have to write it down on a piece of paper in front of the room. So if you're not good at receiving compliments, too bad, this is the activity, you've got to wear the compliments. And she said every single person in the room went up there and you could just feel them during this activity standing taller and receiving these encouragements and just beaming as they sat down. And I thought, man, what an incredible reminder that we all need this. We need to receive it, but not only do we need to receive it, if we need this from others, we also ought to be giving it to others at work and at home and, and in the community. And when there's people that you're in contact with often or just occasionally, what are the opportunities that you have to speak blessing over them in a way that can be a great benefit to them? In the book, The Blessing by, by Dr. Trent, he tells the story right at the beginning of a man named Brian. He's an adult man at this point uh, in his life. Uh, Brian grew up in a house where his father was a retired Marine officer. And there's only one thing that his father wanted for Brian in his entire life, and that was for him to grow up and become a Marine officer. And Brian's father would never give him uh, affection or compliments or, or really even verbal encouragement of any kind because he thought it would soften him up. And he wanted him to be tough, and he wanted to prepare him for the Marines, and he thought that that was one of the best ways he could do that. Throughout his life, Brian was signed up for sports and electives only if they would contribute towards the goal of him getting closer to becoming a Marine officer. When he graduated high school, uh, he graduated and immediately enlisted in the Marines, and it was the happiest day of his father's life. And then Brian went to boot camp and started training and got in one fight and got written up and then got into other altercations and got written up and eventually got into a massive violent uh, brawl with his commanding officer and he was dishonorably dis discharged from the Marines. And the day that he was dishonorably discharged from the Marines, his relationship with his father was shattered. After that day, 
no longer in any kind of relationship with his dad. Uh, Brian would hold jobs for a while, but as a, as a smart and intelligent young man, he would get jobs that were significantly below his ability, and, and he would often fail at them and be let go, or he would leave them and abandon the place where he'd been working. Uh, he was engaged three times, and each time, weeks before the wedding, uh, the engagement would be broken off. And it was in the midst of one of those engagements, the second one, that, that Brian went and started meeting with Dr. Trent, who's a counselor. And he started meeting with them. And the thing that they really started exploring was how much the lack of affection and, and blessing from his father, that that absence of his father speaking words of encouragement and affection over him as a child had now convinced him as an adult that he wasn't worthy of jobs and worthy of relationships and that he lacked the self-confidence because his father had never sowed those seeds in him. Dr. Trent continued to meet with Brian for some time and it was during this season that his mother called Brian and said, Brian, you need to get home now. Your dad's had a heart attack and he's in the hospital. Brian jumps on the plane, and while he's on the flight, he's thinking about all the things that he's learned and all the things that he knows about how he needs to improve his relationship with his dad for both of their benefits. And he's on the plane, and he thinks, I'm finally ready to talk to my dad about all these things, and, and this is the opportunity that he's had this wake-up call that we can finally work out our relationship. And as he gets to the hospital, what he finds is that several hours before he arrived, his father had slipped into a coma that he would never come out of. And Dr. Trent says that Brian sat there in the hospital begging his dad to wake up so that they could finally have these conversations that they'd been putting off for so many years, conversations that would never happen in this life with his dad, conversations that left him with an ache inside of him for, for a parent, a father, to proclaim that blessing over him that would have made him whole and given him so much of what he needed to do in his life and what he lacked in his life. What Brian lacked is what the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, refers to as the blessing. The blessing that fathers would give to their children. And in the Bible, the blessing does two things, and I mentioned this briefly early, but the blessing is all about publicly proclaiming, not just in private, but in front of others. This is my child, and I'm proud of them because God has favored them in these ways, but also in a forward-casting way. And because of those blessings God has given them, it is my desire that they should become and that they should be and that they should do, and God help them to do that. The blessing invites God's power into a child or anyone's life in a way that uses God's power to achieve great things. Brian never received that from his father, but in the Old Testament, children are receiving it over and over again. The different words for blessing occur in the Old Testament over 700 times it comes up and it's talked about. And yet it's not something that we do or think about often enough today. And if you ever look at someone and go, oh, bless their heart, that's not at all what we're talking about. Okay, that's kind of the opposite. Oh, bless them anyways. You know, okay, that's a different thing. What this is, is seeing someone's true value and speaking it to them and over them in a way that enhances that value. It's a way of increasing all that God has placed in them, which is good. 
And when we as, as parents or leaders or friends or neighbors deny the opportunity to proclaim blessing over our children, we're just taking one of the best gifts that we have to give them and we're just dropping it on the ground. When instead we could be just giving it to them as the greatest gift that they need and desire so much. Are we willing to bless our children? We're gonna look at two stories from the Old Testament where this comes up in, in just vivid color uh, this morning. The first one, both of them involve Jacob. One is the receiving of his father's blessing, and the other one is later as he's giving his children their blessing. And we're gonna pick up in Genesis 27 in the passage that was read earlier. And what you need to know is that Jacob has already stolen his twin brother Esau's birthright and his inheritance uh, over a cup of soup. Esau was starving, he says, I'm so hungry. Jacob says, give me your birthright and your inheritance and I'll give you this soup. And he says, fine, you can have it, and took the food. Now at this time, Jacob, whose name, by the way, means deceiver. That's why this passage says, oh, that's why he's named Jacob. It means he's deceptive. Uh, Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, were closer to one another while, while uh, Esau is closer to his father. And so Jacob and his mother, his mother overhears the father say that I'm preparing to give Esau the blessing. And she goes to Jacob and she says, hey, I've got a plan that you can receive the blessing instead of Esau. You've got a hairy brother, so we're going to cover you in goat skins. I'll cook the rest of the goat. I'll make a delicious meal. You go in, uh, smell like a, like a goat skin, and your dad will think it's Esau which is all a little bit disturbing, but we're not going to get into that. It feels like the beginning of a weird Old Spice commercial. But there we go. So we pick up in the story where Isaac has done this. He's dressed up as his brother. He's stealing his brother's blessing. And picking up in verse 18, it says this. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Because of course Esau was going to go hunting and Isaac just went to the stall out back where the goat was. Jacob said to his father, how did you get it so quickly? And the Lord, your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, and here's the blessing. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, 
His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat of some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me. Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I've made him Lord over you. And made all his relatives his servants. I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him with the blessing that he has left to give to Esau. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. Away from the dew of heaven above, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. It's a very different kind of blessing. It's a blessing that speaks about where he's come from and it's a blessing that speaks about where he's going, but it's not the blessing that Esau desired, the one that Jacob stole from him. And think about the difference between the two blessings. The one that says you will receive richness, you will receive wealth, you'll rule over your family, other nations will come to you and and you'll rule over them. And yet for Esau, you will not have wealth, you will not have abundance. I've already given that to your brother who stole your blessing, but you will eventually throw off his yoke that is upon you. It's an unbelievable moment, and the thing that, that just aches through the years is this sound of Esau crying out, God, my father, not God, but father, do you not have a blessing remaining for me? I desired your blessing so very much. There's so many children today who cry out with Esau's voice to their parents, is there not a blessing for me? Is there not words of affirmation and respect and love that you can pronounce over me? At the end of his life, it came time for Jacob to then bless his own children, and he's going to bless all of them. Whereas his father only had one blessing to give, Jacob is now going to bless each of his sons in a very specific and personal way to them. And I'm just going to read a few of these verses to you so that you can hear some of the blessings that he gives to them and how it's functioning in in the Old Testament world. So in Genesis 49, Jacob called for his sons and he says, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength. 
excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up into your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return, home from, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Of course, we know that those last verses are a prophecy of the Messiah who had come through the tribe of Judah. But these blessings that Jacob, Israel is his other name, that he's giving to his sons are personal to the things that they've done and the things that he desired for them by the power of God to do. In the Old Testament world, these blessings were saved for the last kind of minutes or last words that fathers were giving to their children. But what we've learned over the years since then is that blessing does not have to be a momentous event at the end of a lifespan. That blessing is best given in small and little ways every single day. And as parents today, you're invited to join into this ancient practice of pronouncing affirmation and affection over your children in public and private ways in a way that shapes them. And John Trent and Gary Smalley, who wrote the book, The Blessing, have come up with five key ways that we can do this today. Five ways that you can bless your children in a way that will change how healthy they are, how strong they are, how they function in the world. And it'll, it'll open up all kinds of doors into their future. The first one is this, is that you should give your children meaningful and, effect, and effective and affirming touch. Meaningful touch. In fact, the five of them, the, just briefly, are meaningful touch, spoken words, expressing their high value, picturing and seeing a wonderful future for them, a specific future, and making an active commitment to be there with them through all of it. And so the first one is this, is meaningful touch. Uh, the Bible often talks about the biblical laying on of hands about the connecting of people. Uh, even when the blessing is happening there, there's the laying on of hands, there's the kiss that is shared, there's the touch of the hands, all of these touches that are happening in the blessing. But this giving of meaningful touch matters. And it doesn't just matter in scripture. Researchers are showing over and over again today that human touch matters. UCLA put out a study that says that for most humans to feel healthy and their full selves takes 8 to 10 meaningful touches of another human every single day. I heard that and thought, I don't, I don't have any kind of touch with 8 to 10 humans a day. And then I remembered that my kids count. And I was like, oh, no, I'm there. <laughs> 10 would be great. Um, Purdue University did a study where they took uh, school children 
and they had them go to the library and they picked out their books. And as they were leaving the library, the librarian on every other student would hand them their library card and they would just take the card and leave. And then every other student, she would, in the process of handing them their card, uh, in a casual way, touch their hand without the students really even noticing. The students left and then surveyors out in the hall surveyed them and said, how was your experience of the library today? And how was your interaction with the librarian? The students whose hand was touched by the librarian reported that they had a far better experience than the students who didn't. Everything else being the same. It's a little gift that you can give to people in your life. Wash your hands, and then when you meet someone, shake their hands, right? It makes a difference. It matters. When you've got, if you want to improve your relationship with your spouse, hold hands, hug each other, be affectionate with one another. Uh, if you want to improve your relationship with your kids, hug them, kiss them, love them in appropriate and safe and meaningful ways. Be physically involved in your children's life in a way that will communicate to them how much you are proud of them and love them. But it's not just meaningful touch and hugs and kisses. You also have to say something. There's a reason we have these blessings in Scripture. It's because they were spoken aloud where others could hear them and receive them, and they were done publicly. Say nice things about your children. Speak over them the blessings that God has given them in the past and what he's calling them to in their future. You cannot bless without opening your mouth and speaking. I love the strong silent types. There are rocks in so many of our families, but, but we need them to be willing to speak out of that silent strength to pronounce even more meaningful words of affection and affirmation and God's blessing over our children. Don't be silent and leave your kids guessing what you think is great about them. Tell them. Express their high value. I can tell you, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've experienced this in my own life as a parent. When I speak the value of my children, they live into it. And when I speak about how my children struggle and are not good at stuff, they live into that. Tell your kid that they're messy and never expect a clean room in your life. Tell your kid that they're smart and watch how much they'll start reading more, being the first kid to raise their hand in class because that's what smart kids do and you've been telling them they're smart. Whatever you speak over your children, they'll live into that. So choose. Do you want your kids to follow your words into a path of low value? where you have to deal with the kid that your words are producing? Or do you want to proclaim over them greatness and watch them live into that in a way that you get to enjoy and then proclaim even more over them all that, all that God has done in their lives and the lives of others? There's a story of a girl named Diane whose parents struggled for years to have children. And, and when Diane was born, they, everything in the pregnancy had gone normal and was going well. And, and when Diane was born, she was very normal, except that her arm, her left arm, had not formed below the elbow. And as she came out, the, the doctors were so worried, and they began running all kinds of tests to see if there were other things that were going on. And, and after two days of testing, they went to the parents and they said, listen, the only thing that's a challenge for her medically and physically is that her arm did not form below her elbow. Everything else, and in every other way, she's a healthy child. Diane's parents in that moment 
hit their knees and prayed. And they prayed two things. Thank you, God, that everything else about her is fully healthy. Thank you. And God, help us in every single way and with every single word for our love to make up for all of the challenges that she's going to have as a result of her arm. And whatever it is that, that challenges her and causes a deficit in her life, help our love and our words and our encouragement that she can be everything that God wants her to be, to be greater than any deficiencies that she suffers in her life. And when you have parents like that, who know that things are going to be difficult, but are committed to having a love that exceeds the difficulties, what you end up with is someone like Diane, who 19 years later is going to a major university, and not only is she there at the university, but the thing that most people noticed about her even more so than her empty sleeve was how incredible she was when her right hand would play the piano. Incredible works of music being performed by someone who was never told what she couldn't do, but was told what she could do. And she just lived into that value. As parents, when we want to bless our kids, we picture their special future. Children, often the future is a mystery to them, and it's filled with darkness and confusion. But when you proclaim to your children a specific future and you tell them that they can live into that future, what you're doing is you're giving them a guiding light into what is otherwise a mysterious darkness. And so think about the difference it makes in a child's life when one parent says, God has given you such a caring heart, I bet you'll help so many people when you grow up. And another says, you're such a good helper. I can't wait to see what kind of a person you have when you have your own family someday. You're such a good leader. I can't wait to see what God has in store for you. Whereas someone else says, you're such a mess. You're never going to get your act together. Another parent says, you just constantly find ways to screw up, don't you? I don't know if you'll ever get your act together. All of those parents are casting a vision that's a guiding light for their children. But what kind of path does each of those lights take their children down? What kind of a path do those guiding words lead their children to follow and pursue? You do lead your children with your words. Where do you want them to go? And the last thing is this, the last thing that you have to do to bless your children, and then we'll, we'll finish up here quickly, is you have to make an active commitment to your kids. You have to let them know that you're not going to bail on them and that you're going to be there when they need you. John Trent tells a story about how when he was in school, he was terrible at math. He hated math. He failed at it often. And in high school, he had a geometry class that he was taking for a second time because he failed it the first time. And the reason that he was failing it midway through the second time is that his teacher was also sure he was going to fail, and so was half of the class. And in fact, to make sure they knew which ones were passing and which ones were failing, she did her seating chart according to best grades in the front, worst grades in the back. So there he sat on the back row, failing the way everyone expected him to. And then one day, sitting in the back row, failing and without any hope of succeeding in this class, a substitute showed up and said, I'm actually your new teacher. And here's what you need to know. If any one of you fails this class, I've failed this class. I'll stay late. I will tutor. I will help you. I will give you all the attention you need for every single one of you to succeed in geometry. 
And on the last day of that school year, when the teacher posted the number of students that had passed his class, and it was every single one of them, the whole class jumped up and hugged each other and celebrated because they had someone who had made a commitment to them. It's not that the other teacher was better or worse at math. It's that the kids knew that their teacher was committed to them and that he would see to their success. Parents need to make that kind of a commitment to their kids. John went on after that class, after a lifetime of hating math, to major in college, uh, sorry, to minor in college in mathematics. Because it's the difference that happens when someone makes an active commitment in the life of a child. Our children need meaningful touch, spoken words, expressing high value, picturing a special future, and making an active commitment to them. This is the blessing that parents are called to offer their children. And you can do it one time at the end of your life if you want, or once a year, Or you can do it once a month or once a week, or you can find big and little ways to do it every single day. And I think you know which one will make the biggest impact on your children's lives. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to take the time? And maybe you grew up in a family that didn't do it, and you're going to have to break bad habits that were given to you. But by God's grace, you're capable of doing it. And you're going to do it for your kids so that they know how to do it well for their kids. It's a gift that lasts for generations. Is it a foolproof plan? No. God's a good, good father, and he's had rebellious children from the beginning of time. And so if your kids are rebellious after you've pronounced blessing over them and you're thinking, what did I do wrong? Uh, Nothing that God hasn't done wrong. And God's pretty good. Is it too old to start? Is it too old for me to start proclaiming blessing over my child? God proclaimed blessing over his son in his early 30s. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. So listen to him. And the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove in some way that sounds to me a lot like meaningful touch and a public affirmation of God's favor and a conviction about the coming ministry that Jesus is going into. If you're willing to go down this path, you're doing so in very good company. And this morning, if you need in any way to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one whose father was well pleased in. Please do so this morning as we stand and sing. This is-